Well, most of the votes are now counted in the 2021 Canadian federal election. The Liberals were re-elected with a minority government winning 158 seats with 32.5% of the vote. That's as of 10.30 a.m. Eastern on Thursday. The Conservatives won 119 seats, down one from their 2019 performance, winning 33.8% of the vote. The Bloc, 34 seats. The New Democrats, 25, up two, with almost 18% of the vote. The Greens held on uh, to one seat, winning another in Kitchener for a total of two, with only 2.3% of the vote, substantial decrease for the Green Party. And the People's Party of Canada, well, they won 5% of the vote, almost uh, over 830,000 people voted for the People's Party, but they did not win a single seat. Welcome back to In Focus with David Coletto. I'm David Coletto. On this post-election edition of the podcast, I'm going to share some thoughts on what happened Monday night, why the Liberals uh, won a minority despite winning fewer votes, and what this means for the next few months as a new minority parliament uh, reassembles and the Liberals look to move ahead with the agenda it set during this election. Now, it's, it's clear to me that, and we've We've been seeing that throughout uh, this election, that uh, this election felt a lot like the 2019 one on on many fronts, how people felt about the leaders, uh, their level of uh, desire for change, for ultimately their voting behavior looked a lot like uh, what we saw in 2019. Up until the end of the campaign, most or more voters thought the Liberals were going to win this election although most felt it would be close. And when we asked people what their preferred outcome was, 60% preferred a liberal government, 40% uh, preferred a conservative one, but a sizable number, almost half, said they wanted some form of minority government. And so more people got the outcome they wanted in this case, and that was a minority government. Now, Abacus Data like most pollsters, had a, had a good night. Our polls uh, did a pretty good job at anticipating where the final votes would come in. We had the Conservatives at 32, the Liberals at 31, the NDP at 19, the Bloc at 7, the People's Party at 6, and the Greens at 4. We were off 2, or about 2, for uh, the Conservatives, Liberals, and the Greens, only off 1 for the New Democrats. So all in, uh, I'm pretty pretty happy with, with how our poll did, and, and my colleagues in the industry, for the most part, also performed really well. A good night for social, social researchers, uh, demonstrating that uh, the polls are accurate and can uh, anticipate and measure how the public is feeling. Now, I'm using results from our final survey that was done over that last weekend of the campaign to, to sort of unpack a little bit uh, today about what happened. I think a few things stand out to me, uh, one of them being that, you know, the, the level of churn, meaning those who say they voted for one party in 2019 and those who voted for a different party this time, uh, seems to be uh, lower than it was in 2019. Uh, for the Liberals, they lost about one out of four of their previous voters this time, uh, and that's down 
14 points from 2019. Uh, the Conservatives were, were pretty close to what happened last time. They lost about 17% of their previous supporters. It's only marginally higher, three points. The New Democrats saw significantly less churn. If you remember in 2019, they lost uh, a lot of votes, lost more than half their seats. Uh, this time they lost about one out of four voters. On the flip side, the New Democrats gained uh, quite a bit, particularly from the Liberals, um, of all their votes. 36% came from what I call converts, those that voted for another party. Uh, that number was much lower for the Liberals, the Conservatives, and the Bloc. For the People's Party, uh, you know, about half of those in our sample said they voted uh, for the People's Party last time uh, and then voted for them again, but a big part of their vote came from other parties, including about one out of four of the converts came from the Conservative Party. So, you know, not all of them were previous Conservatives, but they pulled mostly uh, from the Conservatives. So what was this campaign about then? Well, was it a change election? The evidence from our polling doesn't suggest that. About the same number of people said they definitely want a change of government in 2021 than did in, in, uh, in 2019. 50% this time, 52% last time. Now, that's not an insignificant number, but certainly wasn't high enough that it would have jeopardized um, the Liberal government. Was it a referendum on the Liberal government's performance over the last two years? I don't think so. Uh, 40% of Canadians said they approve of the job the federal government overall had been doing. That was pretty similar throughout the last two years, and it was actually higher than it was in the lead-up to the 2019 campaign. Was this an election about calling an unnecessary election? Well, I think in some cases it was. More than half of respondents to our survey said they would be, they are less likely to vote Liberal because Justin Trudeau called this election when he didn't have to. But the ultimate impact wasn't enough that it cost the Liberals their win, particularly in uh, those, those regions of the country, the lower mainland in British Columbia, the greater Toronto area. Greater Montreal area, in all three cases, the Liberal vote held firm. The Conservatives or the other parties were not able to make any gains. And that was the foundation to the Liberals' re-election. Among those who said they were somewhat less likely to vote Liberal because they called this election, the Liberals still won the vote among that group. 40% voted Liberal compared to 22 for the New Democrats, 18 for the Conservatives and 10 for the Green Party. So even if it perhaps colored their view, they weren't angry enough, they weren't uh, annoyed enough that it caused them to ultimately switch their vote. And I think that is the story or one of the stories of this campaign. That in litigating the unnecessary election, I think the Conservatives failed to effectively argue why the government needed to be replaced. And for enough voters simply punishing them wasn't rational or sufficient um, a reason to not vote Liberal or to give the Conservatives power. So I think to some extent, the election call certainly colored and framed this campaign and may have cost the Liberals a majority, but it did not 
do enough to, to cause them to lose this election outright. Was this election about the risk of a conservative government? Aaron O'Toole and his campaign worked very hard to make the Conservatives an acceptable alternative to more people. And over the course of the campaign, they did increase the number of people who said they were open to voting Conservative, but ultimately didn't make gains where they needed to in those suburban and urban regions across the country. When we asked voters, is the possibility that the Conservatives and Aaron O'Toole could win the election and form a government make you more likely to vote Liberal, less uh, more likely to vote Conservative, or it doesn't impact your view, we did find one out of four respondents said that they'd be more likely to vote Liberal. About, uh, sorry, one out of three said they'd be more likely to vote Liberal. About one out of four said they'd be more likely to vote Conservative. But I think given where the New Democrats ended, around 18%, slightly higher than their 2019 number, their, their numbers dropped a little over the last week of the campaign, but I think for the most part, they held their vote together and we didn't see a mass exodus away from the New Democrats to the Liberals. And so in a way, the Conservatives effectively inoculated themselves from, you know, being seen as a scary or unacceptable option, but they did not, I think, make the ultimate case that they should actually be given power and that the Liberals should be replaced. Was this campaign about issues? Throughout the campaign, our polling suggested that reducing their cost of living, improving health care, growing the economy, dealing with climate change, and getting more people vaccinated and the country back to normal were, were top issues for a sizable number of the population. In fact, we noticed over the final days of the campaign that more and more people said getting more people vaccinated uh, was 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 a, a top issue. I think the impact of the campaign um, and, and what was happening in Alberta and Saskatchewan, I think, uh, likely moved those numbers up. But when we look at the vote intentions of those who identified certain issues as their top issue, say cost of living, among those who said cost of living was a top two issue, 32% voted Conservative, 27 Liberal, 24 NDP. So the Conservatives had a slight advantage there, but no party had a clear lead. If this election was about the cost of living, well, the result looks fairly similar to the final results. For those who said improving the health care system was a top issue, the Liberals won by 10 points, 38 to 28, against the Conservatives with the New Democrats at 24. So the more that this campaign was about health care, the better the Liberals were going to do. What about growing the economy? Well, we know that about 20% said growing the economy was a top two issue. And among that group, 47% voted conservative, almost half, 29 liberal and 11 for the NDP. So in a way, the conservatives were successful um, at framing at least their choice as being uh, tied to the economy. What about climate change? One out of five voters put it in their top two. And among them, the liberals won by... 15 points over the New Democrats, 40% Liberal, 25 NDP, 12 for the Conservatives. So if this election was about climate change, or it had been more about climate change, the Liberals, I think, likely would have done even better. Finally, among those who said getting back, getting more people vaccinated and getting back to normal quicker, 46% voted Liberal, 
26 conservative and 16 NDP. And so you can see a real sense of the ballot, potential ballot questions, right? If the ballot questions were tied to reducing cost of living, growing the economy, or managing the federal budget deficit, the conservatives would have won this election. If the election was about health care, climate change, or getting people back to normal, the Liberals would have clearly won this election. And because the election wasn't about just one of these things, I think we can see uh, that the result was as close as it was. But you do see the undercurrents of the issues and how the parties tried to frame uh, this election for their own supporters and their own universes. And I think the campaign was effective at slotting voters into those issues and them voting respectively. Was the election about the leaders? A lot of people said this was a referendum on Justin Trudeau. Over the course of the campaign, um, Mr. Trudeau's numbers really didn't move all that much. At the end, 39 had a positive view, 44 negative. Mr. O'Toole's numbers improved over the first week, mainly among conservative-oriented voters, but he ended up with 31 positive, 43 negative, so eight points fewer than the Prime Minister. Mr. Singh ended the campaign undoubtedly the most popular leader in the country, 46% at a positive view compared to 25%, but it did little in giving the New Democrats additional support across the country. And so, once again, having a popular leader doesn't automatically mean you're going to get more votes. Was this campaign about the pandemic? In our tracking, we did see from the middle of July to early August a pretty rapid rise in the number of people who said they were becoming more worried about the pandemic in the past few days. In the middle of July, 15% said they were getting more worried. That rose to 33% in mid-August, and by the time the election was called, it was up to 38%, and stayed about that level throughout the campaign. And so this campaign occurred as almost half the country, or just under, 41% said they were getting more worried about this pandemic, not less, and that anxiety about it was growing in some pockets of the country. Now, when we ask people, if the pandemic gets worse, which party would you prefer to be in charge of managing things? On this question, the Liberals lead the Conservatives by six points, 35% chose the Liberals, 29 Conservative, 16 NDP, 6% for another party, and 13% were undecided. And among that group who said Liberal, 24% ended up voting for another party, even though they would have preferred the Liberals to lead during uh, a fourth wave, which shows that while the pandemic was a big part of this election, it didn't ultimately move enough voters into the Liberal camp for them to take advantage of this perceived advantage that they have. And so it might have been partly about the pandemic, but it wasn't the fundamental ballot question. And so then, how do you make sense of this campaign? Well, we've also been tracking the level of attention people have been paying to this campaign. And, you know, typically we see quite a bit of movement in the polls. Uh, Our poll was more or less flat after the first week. Some of the tracking polls showed some movement, but my view is that I don't think there was real fundamental shifts happening in the electorate. It was just different levels of enthusiasm 
reflecting in who was answering surveys at any given time. But when we asked people how much attention are you paying to the election, only 13% by the end of the campaign's campaign said they were following it very closely. Another 44% said pretty closely. Turnout looks like it's going to be somewhere around 60%, which is a significant drop from 2019, and I think reflects the fact that many people weren't engaged. And so if you don't have an engaged electorate, even those who will ultimately vote, do campaign events matter? If a campaign event happens and nobody knows about it, does it really happen? Francois Legault's endorsement of Aaron O'Toole, the leaders' debates, you know, the conservative flip-flop on guns. We, you know, those who cover and follow politics closely often think that those are pivot points that fundamentally change the direction of the election, when I think, in fact, these events did little to shift the trajectory, move people off their starting point. And so we ended up very much where we were in 2019 because my hypothesis is this campaign really didn't matter. What we do know, though, is that divides between urban and rural Canada are sharper today. I think despite winning a few seats in Alberta, the divide between the prairies and the west and the rest of Canada are as sharp as they've ever been. And I think there's no doubt that Canadians are more divided than when this campaign started, and campaigns typically have the effect of doing that. But I come back to a point where interest in this campaign was lower, engagement was lower, and therefore my, my sense is this campaign really didn't move people all that much. And its comparison to 2019 is, is pretty close. Interest in this campaign was lower, but a lot of other variables were pretty similar. Desire for change, how people felt about the leaders, the the size of the different voter pools that were out there, all in line, more or less, with what we saw at the end of the 2019 uh, campaign. So what does all this mean? Well, I think first, this election probably set a precedent for calling an early election in the future. I think we have to do more, uh, those making this decision, to, to read the public mood. When this campaign was started, I said, now is a great time to call an election. The country was feeling optimistic. Almost half the country felt things were headed in the right direction. But I think underlying that general optimism about the country was a tiredness, a grumpiness, a, an exhaustion that I think many, many people were feeling. And an election just felt unneeded and unnecessary, an added burden on a population that had just gone through a pretty serious trauma that affect their lives and um, they still didn't see a clear path out of. Now, the Liberals offered an ambitious agenda. So when this new parliament reconvenes and a new government is sworn in, I think the thing that will be the greatest challenge will be focusing and prioritizing what it's going to do, and how it's going to get it done. Now, there's a debate going on about whether all the leaders and parties lost in this election, or did they all win? In a way, they all achieved some of their goals. Certainly, the Liberals wanted a majority, and they didn't get it, but they held on to 
win looks like one or two more seats than they won in 2019. The Conservatives still won the popular vote, but failed to make any breakthroughs in suburban and urban parts of the country that they failed to make breakthroughs in the last two elections. Is the Conservative Party relevant to voters living in suburban Toronto or suburban Vancouver? They're certainly not relevant to those in the inner cities. In Montreal, for example, the Conservative Party got 11% of the vote. But the same is true for the Liberals in rural Canada, in Saskatchewan. The Conservatives swept every seat and the Liberals got less than 10% of the vote. They're not even really a party in Saskatchewan. And so the two main parties, I think, have a lot of soul-searching and thinking about how do they make themselves relevant. Because unless they do that, we are going to have perpetual minority governments in Canada if the Conservatives can't appeal to urban Canada and the Liberals can't appeal to smaller town, rural Canada. Finally, I think we're, we're going to see a real focus on ending this pandemic. And I think the policies that come out of Parliament and this government are going to be focused on getting us to the end and then thinking about what needs to be recovered. Recovery of our health system, recovery of our economy, recovery of our spirit as a country and getting people back to work. We have massive job shortages in many sectors. And so instead of thinking about how do we create new jobs, I think a focus will shift to how do we fill the jobs that we need to fill. So this election seemed to be about nothing. Voters delivered a parliament that was almost exactly the same as it was in 2019. There was some shifting across different parties that ended up producing the same result. But ultimately, I think it was a recognition that most people did not feel that the previous parliament and the previous government was dysfunctional or not delivering what they needed. In fact, I think the fact that the status quo emerged is a recognition that if you were unhappy with the government or the parliament before, you registered that disappointment. If you were generally satisfied with the decisions that the government and the parliament were making, you'll be generally happy with the outcome as well. This will be the final briefing that I do on polling during the election. I'm going to take a little bit of a hiatus and be back with some new interviews, reverting back to the former style of our podcast as we head towards a throne speech and a new government. It's been a real pleasure sharing with you. Hope you've gotten a lot of use out of these briefings. And I look forward to being back with you shortly. Have a great weekend and we'll talk soon.